Hi there, and God bless you. I'm Brian Hallam. I pray that this message is a blessing to you. Thank you for downloading it, and thank you for following me on Twitter and Instagram and for liking and sharing what we post there. I just want you to know that I believe God wants to do something great in your life and in your family. So as we go into the Word today, let's go in with faith and hope and a high level of expectation for what God is going to do in your life. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Lord. You can be seated in the house of God. What an exciting day to have church. We have several people going to be water baptized later. So I want to teach a little bit on what water baptism is really about. Water baptism starts with one key component, water. Because water is the universal cleansing agent. You don't have to explain water. If your kids are wet, the first thing you do is you hose them off. Or if your kids are dirty, the first thing you do is you hose them off because water just about fixes anything. If you have kids like my kids, you might have to mix in a little bleach, praise the Lord. But water is a phenomenal cleansing agent. It's known all over the world. So when the Lord decided to establish what a sign of repentance would be, it just makes sense that he would use water, something that washes away that which was dirty. So the scripture says when we're water baptized uh, that several things happen in the natural and several things happen uh, in the supernatural. Different things are occurring when we are water baptized. But one of the main things that happens is we're simply doing what the Lord says. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 28. I'm going to read just for a moment, but I'm going to read the Great Commission. Look at your neighbor and just say Great Commission. It's, 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 it's not defined as the Great Commission in our Bible. It's what historians and different Bible scholars have called it over the years, so it just makes sense. But it's a commission for what believers ought to do. It's a commission for what believers, uh, believers in Christ Jesus should be about. And Jesus says this to his disciples uh, right before he uh, uh, goes and ascends into heaven. It's one of the last things he says to him. So verse 18, Matthew 28. Jesus came and spoke to them and said, all power, everybody say all power, all power power is given unto me in heaven and earth, all power is given unto our God. So Jesus is sitting there and, and he's talking to his disciples and he says, I don't want anybody to get it twisted when I leave here. All power is given unto me. Now, you guys have seen me raise the dead. You see me walk on water. You see me, you see me open blinded eyes. You see me feed people when there wasn't enough food to feed people. But I'm telling you, that's just scratching the surface about what I am about. All power is given unto me. Right before he left. In other words, he said, I'm going to make something clear. It, you, ever, you ever gotten a babysitter for your kids and, and, and you're about to leave the house? The, the, the first thing you tell your kids is not the most important thing. It's that last thing you tell them. Okay, kids, make sure, listen, I want y'all in bed by 8 o'clock. Yeah, right, all right, <laughs> okay. I want, I want everybody to take a bath and use soap, you know, all these different little things that you tell them. But then that last thing is you better do this because the last thing is almost always the most important thing. That's why we call this the Great Commission. So he takes what we would later call the Great Commission to 
further put an exclamation point to drive a spiritual stake in the ground so that everyone who would read God's holy Bible in the future would know that Jesus is not uh, the possessor of some power in heaven, some power in earth. But he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Give God a great big hand of praise because we serve an all-powerful God. And because of this, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Everybody say baptize. He says, go therefore, because I have all power in heaven and earth, because I have proven it to you, because I have enunciated to you, I want you to go therefore into all the world and I want you to not just teach all nations. Your Bible might say make disciples, make disciples, preach the gospel. I want you to take what I've said to you and what I have taught to you and I want you to carry it everywhere. But not only making disciples, I want you to baptize every believer. Yes. The reason we need to be baptized, I'll point out in a minute, but one of the primary reasons, if you're taking notes, one of the main reasons to be baptized is because this, and and this is kind of deep, but I want you to just get it. Look at your neighbor, just say, this is real deep. You should be baptized because Jesus said so. Nobody else rose from the dead for you and me. Nobody else bled and died for you and me. Nobody else took the keys to death, hell, and the grave and turned them over to the church. Nobody else said, even though you didn't even know me yet, I loved you before you knew me and I gave my life for you. Nobody else did that. So when you give your life for Christ, when you decide to give your life, listen, it's not just an agreement to give your life to him in that moment. It's an agreement to follow after what he teaches. Amen? So for us, the number one reason or the first reason, I don't want to quantify them necessarily. I don't want to qualify them, but I'll quantify them. Number one, we need to be baptized because Jesus said so. Yes, and if you can't do what Jesus said to do in his Bible, how can he trust you to do what, you, what he says to you that, that, that necessarily is specifically for you? So let me put that differently. There is the general will of God for every believer, which you will find not in an iPad, but you will find it in a Bible. Praise the Lord. You will find the general will of God for every believer. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, uh, Don't have any other gods before him. Uh, uh, Be kind to those who are mean to you. All the different things that God says. Raise your kids uh, to honor God and to love God, and they won't depart from God whenever they get older. All these are the general will of God for your life. But there is a specific will of God for your life. In other words, God will whisper into your ear in the midnight hour and he will give you a directive. And whenever you get really good at following the general will of God, because Jesus said to be baptized, I'm going to be baptized. Praise the Lord. Now, all of a sudden, you become a candidate for the specific will of God in your life. Because he goes, whoa, this person's keeping my word. This person's keeping my commandments. This person's pursuing the general will of God. Now I can whisper into the ear, whisper into their ears. Now I can give them things that they've never thought of on their own because I know they will do what I said. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. The other side of baptism, we got to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. We're not going to turn there. I'm just going to tell you a brief story. In the beginning, the Bible says that God made man in his likeness. And in his image, and in his likeness and image did he make man. As a matter of fact, it says, let us 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit make man our likeness and our image. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. God is three parts. You're three parts. Let us make man in our likeness and in our image. The Bible says that he took mankind and he, he, he made him. In other words, he, he, he architecturally made him. And then the Bible says that he cast his shadow. One translation says that it's like he cast his shadow over the dust of the earth and he formed him out of the dust of the earth like a potter forms a pot out of clay. And the Bible said he stood the man up and then he breathed the breath of life into mankind. And all of a sudden, mankind existed. And what we found was something real interesting. This is, this is just a dishrag. It's just a, just a white uh, uh, linen dishrag. And, and I'll just be honest with you. I have probably handled more dishrags than all of you guys combined. And that's the truth. Every wife is bumping their husband saying, he does dishes. No, it's not what I'm trying to say, Okay. <laughs> I do a dish occasionally, but what I'm saying, I grew up and my family was in the dry cleaning business. So from the time I was old enough to do anything, I was carrying and folding thousands upon thousands of these because we would do linen routes and they would come to us filthy, covered in grease and everything else. And then we would take them and we would, we would, uh, uh, we would clean them and we would fold them and then we would package them up. And when we packaged them up, we would bring them back. And if you showed up at the right restaurant at the right time, they would give you some fried chicken when you're walking out the door. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So this is just a common dish rag. I don't want you to think this is necessarily any. This is just for an illustration. But this dish rag, I want this dish rag to represent uh, kind of like the Lord. See, this dish rag is all white. It doesn't have any blemish on it. It's brand new. It's made perfectly new. So God himself is, is completely pure. He's never done anything wrong. He's never going to do anything wrong. He's overwhelmingly strong and overwhelmingly powerful. So what it says in the book of Genesis is it says, let us make man in our likeness and in our image. So what he did is he formed man in his likeness and in his image. And all of a sudden you have man right next to him. And man and God, they looked the same. They sounded the same. I'm not saying they were interchangeable, but creation outside of man could not discern the difference between God and man because God was made in God's likeness and God's image. So when God gave Adam the the assignment of, I want you to rule and reign and take dominion on the earth, and oh, by the way, I want you to name the animals, when he said giraffe, you happen to be named a giraffe. The giraffe did not argue because the giraffe could not discern between God's voice and man's voice because man was made in God's likeness and God's image. You see what I'm saying? And they would go, the Bible said they would go for walks in the cool of the day and mankind and God, Adam and God would go walking and maybe they would even hold hands and when they hold hands, nothing took place that would tarnish the other. Nothing took place that would cause a problem for the other because they were both of the same DNA. They were of the same bloodline. He was just like his father. He didn't have to explain everything to him because he was leading him by example. The only example that Adam had was his father as an example. In other words, Adam was looking at his father and while he kept his eyes on his father, he had an understanding of the example that he was supposed to be. In other words, God was showing him the way he should go and when he got old, he was planning that he would not depart from it because he was made in his image and in his likeness. They were just the same. Everything was going wonderful uh, until something happened. And, and what was interesting that happened is all of a sudden in slithers in a snake. And I don't mean just any snake. I'm talking about one of those nasty snakes. You know what I'm saying? Everybody in the room just had the thought, all snakes are nasty. I agree in the name of Jesus. 
I stepped on a snake in my driveway the other day. I'm walking out and I stepped on it and I looked down. And if I didn't step on it, I stepped right next to it. And, and, and I was wearing boots because where I'm from, you should, where I live, you should probably wear boots. It's a good idea. And I, and I'm walking in the driveway and all of a sudden this, uh, this snake is looking, is sitting there and he's looking down or I'm looking down at it and it's looking up at me. And all of a sudden that snake just went to wherever snakes go and it's not heaven. I just want you to know. Look what the Lord has done. I got no problem stomping a snake. I'm just going to let you know. I got no problem with that. I got no problem with that. So the Bible says that a snake comes up and Adam and Eve are there and, and he looks at old Eve and he says, he says, hey, Eve, how's it going? And he's all pretty good, you know, just ruling and reigning with my husband. Everything's pretty awesome. You know, we got everything kind of at our disposal. And the devil begins to point something out. He says, he says, oh, you almost have everything. But there's one thing God doesn't want you to have because the minute you have it, you'll be like God. A half-truth is a whole lie. And the devil, what he did specifically, if we're going to be clear about it, is he began to focus mankind's eyes off of what God had blessed him with towards what God was protecting him from. You see, the problem with sin is sin is very enticing. The problem with losing your temper is it feels good in the moment. But the problem with losing your temper is it will make a fool out of you. You're at the right time, you'll even make it on TV. Sin will make a fool out of you. And he begins to look. And the Bible says that, that, that God is holy. And holy means separate. And God had separated this one thing. Effectively, the first fruits or the tithe in the Garden of Eden. That one thing that God said, this is holy. I'm going to separate this. Don't mess with this. And it was a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, to understand the, 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 the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you got to go way back. Who in here has a baby? Just at least one. Just raise your, Even if they're like 110 years old, they're still your baby. You know what I'm saying? You've experienced a baby before. A baby. <laughs> a baby. You put them in a high chair. And when they're a baby, you give them Cheerios. And the first thing that that baby's going to do is it's going to eat three Cheerios. And then it's going to throw 300 Cheerios on the ground. <laughs> and if you have a dog, this is the day that your dog falls in love with your baby. <laughs> but what's interesting is that baby is making an incredible mess, throwing everything everywhere. And, and instead of you being frustrated with your baby, you grab your phone and you start videoing it and you put it on Facebook and say, oh, look how cute little Susie is. She's throwing her Cheerios everywhere. Oh, good arm, baby. <laughs> yeah, feed the puppy. <laughs> But if I come in your house and I start chunking cereal all over the floor, you got a problem with me. The reason you have a problem with me is because I know what is right and I know what is wrong. I have the knowledge of good and evil. A little baby chunking Cheerios on the, on the ground. The little baby's not wrong. The little baby has no idea. But there's a day and age... It used to be a lot younger. Now it's like 16 when parents start waking up and start going, hey, no more Cheerios on the floor. <laughs> used to be a lot younger. When I was around, they would hand you to your grandparents and it wasn't like good news. You know what I'm talking about? 
I'm going to send you your grandparents. My grandma walked around with a fly swatter and she wasn't swatting flies. I still get nervous. Somebody brings a fly swatter out, I start running. Anyway, that baby has no concept of right and wrong. Adam and Eve had no issue being close to God because there was no understanding of good and evil. The Bible says, to know what is right and to not do it, to him that is sin. And the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, this is the issue with humanity. This is the issue with mankind that we all face. And in the garden, everything was hunky-dory. Everything was just fine. Man and God could walk hand in hand, and it had no adverse effect. But the problem with humanity is humanity, each one of us at some point in our life, has done something that just by definition we would call it, we have all sinned. We have all missed the mark. And when we fall into sin, sin does not leave us the way that we are. Now we could be tempted to sin. We could be tempted, hey, jump in the water, jump in the water, jump in the water. And if we don't do it, it doesn't touch us, it doesn't stain us. But the problem is every person under the sound of my voice and all 7 billion people on the planet have, every one of us has done something that we shouldn't have done. And when we do, the Bible says when we fall into sin, literally it's at that time that we are stained and marked by sin. Well, the problem with being stained and marked by sin is now it is very easy for the world and all the spiritual things to recognize a difference between you and the God who created you. So when you speak, it doesn't hold the same weight as it used to speak. When you move, it doesn't hold the same movement as you used to move because now you are stained and tarnished. Furthermore, you know that you are blemished and you feel it. When somebody preaches the gospel, the reason it burns on the inside of you is because each one of us has experienced this stain that can only be removed one way. So for you and for me, we walk around stained. And what happened in the Garden of Eden is Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that they shouldn't have eaten of. And all of a sudden that day, God comes walking and he wants to have a walk with his friend. He wants to have a walk with his creation. He wants to have a walk with Adam. And he says, hey, Adam, where are you? And Adam heard him coming in the cool of the day. And he says, oh, my goodness gracious, I am stained. I can no longer be close to God. And he hides himself from God. And each one of us has been there where we find ourselves stained. And we are ashamed of what we've done. We're ashamed of what we've said. We're ashamed of what we've become. And we think the answer is to hide from God. But the problem is you can't hide from God. God says, Adam, where are you? And God does not ask questions that he does not know the answer to. Adam, he was not asking, where are you? Because he didn't know. He was asking, where are you? To see, will you be honest with me in your situation? When God speaks to you, it's not that he doesn't know what you will say. He wants you to know that you can be honest with him. So God comes to Adam and he says, Adam, what's going on? He goes, oh, you know, I can't be around you. I've missed the mark. I've done all these other things. And God says, well, let me tell you what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to cover you. And the first thing he did is he took and he, he took the skins of an animal and he covered Adam and Eve. You can't get the skin of an animal without a sacrifice and without blood, just FYI. And he covered the, the sensitive areas of Adam and Eve, the areas that they were ashamed that would be in public. And the scripture says that after that, he abolished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden and all of creation. And he took two angels with swords and he stood them at the gates of Adam and Eve and he said, uh, of the Garden of Eden. He said, nobody is allowed to come in here. And if you think about it, just on the front side, you say, well, God just really likes his garden. No, God likes you. 
Because the problem is, the Bible would later teach us in Exodus chapter number 33, verse 18. The scripture says Moses wanted to see God. And he said, I want to see your glory. And he said unto him, he said unto Moses, he says, I will make all of my goodness pass in front of you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy to who I will show mercy. And he said unto him, he said, but you can't see my face for there shall no man see me and live in other words Adam and Eve you can't stay in the garden anymore and it's not because I don't love you it's because if you get close to me you're gonna die well what do you mean how you get close to God and we die the reason that the problem is the reason we can't get close to God and die is because God is perfect righteous and pure and he cannot change and if he would allow us in a stained situation to get close enough to him to touch him in that moment two things would happen number one we would die and number two he would change you see because if you take a dirty stained thing and you touch a clean pure thing it doesn't clean the dirty, it stains the pure. Now God is not pure. Now God is not holy. This is why the entire Bible is a love story between him and us. It's why God's entire scripture is a love story. Him sending Adam and Eve out of the garden was for their protection because they were now no longer in a state to be touching the righteous and holy and only living God in a way that would be safe for them and unchanging to him. So God says to Moses, he goes, look, he said, I understand you want to touch me, Moses. He said, but you have a major problem. Everybody say major problem. You have a major problem, Moses. You can't see my face and live. You can't get close to me and live. You can't get close to me and touch me because if you touch me, you'll die. Somebody say God has a plan. But the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me. And you shall stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass that while my glory passes you by, that I will put you in the cliff, in the crevice of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand while I pass over. And I will take away my hand and you will see my back parts. You will see my train, but my face you shall not see. In other words, in a Christian's life, we spend our lives standing on Christ Jesus, the solid rock. You know, the Bible says this. The Bible says the building block that was rejected became the cornerstone of the whole new world. The Bible also says in the book of Galatians that those of us who have been baptized, Galatians 3.27, those of us who have been baptized, we have put on Christ Jesus. In other words, our situation is that, that we can't go to God in our current state. We can't go to God the way that we are any longer. We can't go to God in a way that would, that, in a way that would touch Him in our current condition. Something has to change for us to be able to access this holy, righteous, and pure God. Something has to be shifted. Because if you go to God like this and touch God, you're going to make God something that God has never been intended to be. And our Bible says that He changes not. He can't allow this to happen because now he can't even help us out of our situation. If he changes, he's no longer the author and the finisher of our faith. 
So something has to happen. So God, in his righteous and holy plan, Moses is God. And I think this is a very valiant thing to want. God, I want to see you. I want to spend time with you. I want to be close to you. And God says, you can't see me in the condition that you're in. You can't get close to me in the condition that you're in. But there is a place beside me, and if, you, if you've ever wanted to study the Bible, let me give you just one of the simplest, most, most, most powerful uh, uh, articles to apply to your Bible study. Always look for the thread of Christ Jesus throughout the Scripture. In other words, find Him in the story that you're reading. In the excerpt that you're reading. So the, the Bible says that the Israelites were in the wilderness and they needed water. And all of a sudden Moses takes his rod and he slaps the, the uh, stone. And the Bible says water flows out and they have something to drink. Well, that reminds me of Jesus Christ hanging on a cross when a spear was stuck in his side and blood and water flowed. He is the rock in the wilderness that quenches the thirst of all of his people. You find Jesus in every story. The Bible says Abram had to go up to the mountain. He was about to sacrifice his own son. The Bible says there was a ram caught in the, in the thistle, caught in the bushes, caught in the briars, caught in the brambles. And the book of Song of Solomon says it like this. He is the rose among thorns. You have to find him in every story. You find the Lamb of God in every situation because the Lamb of God is the only topic of the Bible. He is not a topic of the Bible. He is the topic of the Bible. So the Bible says that Moses says, I want to see you. And God doesn't say, not a chance. No way, never. He says, there is a place beside me. And my Bible later says that seated at the right hand of the Father, there is an intercessor constantly making intercession for you and for me. He said, there's a place beside me. We used to sing this, this wonderful song when I was growing up. It said, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. He said, there is a rock beside me that you will stand upon and I will hide you in the cliff of that rock. The book of Galatians says it like this. Those of us who have been water baptized, we have put on Christ Jesus. What that means is in your current condition, when you decide to go under the water, you are, your Bible might say it this way, you are clothed in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.27, you put on Christ. Well, now when you put on Christ, you are enveloped in who he is, and now all of a sudden when you come to God or whenever you speak of things, there is no longer a difference between the God of all creation when he speaks and what you say because you are back in his image and in his life. You're no longer staining what God is. You're actually back in unison with what he wants you to be. And the truth of the matter is we can go boldly. Somebody say boldly. We can go boldly before the throne. And when we go boldly before the throne, we can make our requests known unto God. But you got to understand boldness doesn't mean arrogance. I'm not going to God as if I've accomplished something. I'm going to God saying, oh God, your son is more than able to deliver me from all my sins, all my shortcomings, and every issue has ever come in my life. He's more than able. We go to the Lord confidently and we don't go to the Lord confidently just to make requests. Because making requests to God was not the only intention of mankind. He said, I want to walk with you. Throughout the garden. I want to walk with you. Through all of creation. I want to spend time with you. In your life. 
when my children run in the room. When I walk into the room after a long day and I come back into the house and I open the door, most of the time they meet me on the road. We have a very long driveway and they'll be sitting watching and all of a sudden my truck will come and they'll be running down the road and sometimes I mess with them and I act like I can't see them. I just ignore them. And then I stop and I roll down my window and they're like, Dad. And I'm like, what? And then they jump on the running boards of my truck. Some of you guys live in the country, know what I'm talking about. They jump on the running boards of my truck. And my little five-year-old's hanging on the running board. And my eight-year-old boy, he gets behind her like a spider. And he just grabs door and everything. He goes, Dad, I won't let her fall. <laughs> I said, well, you better hold on. Just to finish that, I'll throw it in neutral and I'll rev my motor. Because I got a kind of a loud truck because I am from the country. Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> like, oh, Dad, ah, it gets my belly hot. <laughs> they're not coming to me to make requests. They're coming to me for the most precious thing in my life as their father. That their creation wants to be near that my creation wants to be near wants to be near their creator their daddy you see the the idea of baptism as a religious thing is sometimes overcooked I think certainly we should do it because Jesus said so but when you're water baptized You put on Jesus. You're like, you're like Moses in that rock. And when the glory's coming, you're protected and can actually bask in it. And then you can see everywhere God's... Let me say it like this. God says, I will place you in the cliff of the rock, in the crevice. I'll place you in Christ. And I will shield you from seeing my face but you will see my train. Can, can I just say it differently so that we can just all mature as Christians? You're not always going to see God coming in your life, but you will always see where He has been in your life. The fact that we can't see Him coming all the time, that's where faith comes in. Somebody say faith. It's the substance and the evidence of what we do not see. It's what we can't touch. That's why God says, I'm going to put my hand over you. Because whenever you can't see, now faith has an opportunity to work. I don't know the answer, but my faith knows that God is working. I can't see God. You're right where Moses was. And Moses' story is just beginning. Moses said, I I want to see you. Don't you want to see God? Don't you want to experience God? Step one, step one is you got to get in the rock. There is a rock right next to the Father. The Bible calls him the great mediator between God and man. And there is only one. There is only one name whereby men can be saved. Mankind, people can be saved. Let me just say this too. That name is the name of Jesus. There is no other name. There is no other, I'm not even going to say them, but there's no other name, no other religion, no other religious leader, nothing, only Jesus, Yeshua. 
the chosen one of God sent from above. The, John the Baptist, he, he said it like this. He said, there is one that will come after me that existed before me. Jesus was there when mankind was created. He was a part of the process. The Bible says nothing was made that was not made by him. When God said, let us make man in our likeness and our image, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You say, how does that work? It's one of the great mysteries. The Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord. But Jesus was not just involved. When we saw Jesus walking, when they saw Jesus walking as a man, that's how we will see Jesus in heaven. That's how we know, oh, I feel God. That's how we know how he looks. Jesus doesn't look like some, some mythological creature. He looks like a man who lived a 33-year spotless, sinless life. And the rock of our salvation gave us the opportunity through believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth that he is Lord to be saved from all of our sin and shortcoming. Every bad decision we dove into. Oh, some of us, I know it was, it was a bad environment. But somewhere along the way, we knew what we were doing. Or we knew what we were not doing. And Jesus became the rock that allows us, after being born again through baptism, to put on to be safely hidden inside so that when we go to God we go to Him knowing that we have access to Him which is all He ever wanted and by the way just I don't feel like this is necessary but I always like to point it out in moments like this we're not blaming Adam and Eve you will see them in heaven you don't want to get there and go man I spent 75 years blaming you for sin it's not their fault I mean, they were the first, but we all sinned ourselves. Somebody say amen. amen. So what happens is when we get in Christ, now we can go to God. When we put on Christ Jesus, we're like Moses, hidden in the safety and security of that rock. In just a moment, we're going to water baptize some people. If you're here today and you've never been baptized, I'm going to encourage you. You can make that decision right now. There was one guy in the Bible. He was from Ethiopia. And he, he, was, he was going and, and he was reading uh, uh, the book of Isaiah. And one of the disciples came and explained it to him. And he says, what do I have to do to be saved? He says, well, you need to believe on Jesus. And you need to be baptized. And the scripture says, baptized? He says, yeah, baptized. And a man stops the chariot they were in. He looks down there's a puddle of water. And he said, we have water right here. What stops me from being baptized? Let me say it differently. You're at New Heights Church. Baptism is what Jesus has told us to do. And it's also how we put him on. So we can have access in every area. And oh, by the way, when you're clothed in Christ, now your voice is not discernible between his voice to the enemy so when the enemy hears you say in the name of Jesus he doesn't know did Jesus just say that who just told me to do that was that God was that Adam what's going on here because the Bible says 
all power. And that's what you go inside of. That's what you are enveloped in. Give God a big hand of praise. Before we go any further, if you're here today and you're not right with God, I I just want to give you the opportunity to get saved first or to rededicate your life. Then we'll talk about baptism. Please bow your head and close your eyes. The Bible says that if we'll believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we'll be saved. If that's you and you've never done that, or maybe you say, I did that at one point, but somehow I've fallen out of relationship. You say, maybe maybe I was saved, but maybe I'm backslidden. I'm like the prodigal son. I've gone away from God. And today's the day I want to return my life to Him. I want to give my life fresh and new to Him for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one's looking around. When I count to three, if that's you, I want you to lift your hand and I want you to know that all we're going to do in just a moment is I'm going to include you in a prayer. A prayer that says, Jesus, there's hands going up already, that says, Jesus, I want you in my life. And what will happen is He'll come into your life fresh and new. If that's you, and I count to three, I want you to lift your hand. With uplifted hand, you're saying, oh, God, remember me. And he really, really will. One, two, three. Lift your hands. Keep them up high and bold. Tall and bold. Three more. There's three more. I just heard it in my spirit. Three more. Lift them up tall and bold. Let God forgive you today. Let him wash you white, let him wash you white as snow. There we go. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I see that hand, 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 I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you very much. I see that hand. Thank you very much. Is there anyone else? We're about to pray. I don't want you to be left out on this. Sometimes it can feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. What I'm telling you is with just the simplicity of lifting your hand to say, Jesus, I want to make you Lord of my life. He will remove your burdens. He will remove your shame. And all the issues of your past will pale in comparison to the glory of your future. If that's you, lift your hand right now. I see that hand. I see that hand. All right, let's all stand to our feet. We're about to pray. We're going to pray and we're going to ask God to do what only God can do. Church, help us pray. Let's all lift our hands. If you lifted your hand or you wanted to, pray this prayer after me. Say, oh God, I come to you now and I ask you to save me. Write my name in your book. I believe Jesus lived and died for my victory I believe he rose from the dead I thank you Lord God that I am new I'm a new creature I am born again I turn from my past and I turn to you take me Lord all of me in Jesus name Amen, Amen, praise God We hope you were blessed by today's podcast If you'd like more information about Pastor Brian or New Heights Church, visit newheightschurch.info and be sure to follow Pastor Brian on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, thank you so much for liking and sharing.